702. The Naked Scientist. Time for the Naked Scientist with Dr. Chris Smith. We take your calls. 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Dr. Chris Smith, happy Monday. How are you doing? Happy Monday. I'm very good. How are you? Listen, I am fantastic and I have to ask a question. And we might have asked this before. But what is the science behind the law of attraction? There's a very, very detailed science behind the law of attraction, actually, because it comes down to what you look like, what you smell like, and what you sound like. And all of these things seem to manifest themselves. And I think one of the most amazing papers I read um, was a chap who did, he got a grant to do studies in nightclubs, would you believe, as in lap dancing clubs. And he was very interested in how uh, the attraction may or may not vary between men and women across the menstrual cycle. Because anecdotal reports had suggested that at certain times of the month, women report that their taste in an ideal partner changes. So they thought, let's go to these lap dancing clubs and we'll see what tips the women there get over the course of the month. Mm. Because in this way, you can use the money as an objective measure of how attractive the men must feel that the women are. And so they did this study where they followed the women over their menstrual cycles and all of them were naturally um, cycling. They weren't on oral contraceptives and some were on oral contraceptives. And this makes a difference, which I'll come to in a second. And what they found is that the women who were naturally cycling had a higher rate of tips being proffered on day 14, which is the magic number for when you're ovulating. And the women who were on the oral contraceptive pill earned about the same amount in tips, but at a slightly lower level than the women who were naturally cycling all the way through the month. So it seems like in some way that the oral contraceptive pill or hormones is in some way influencing how attractive you are judged to be by the opposite sex. Now, whether that is because you smell different, you look different, you behave slightly differently at certain times of the month, we don't know. Then another study got done where a guy recorded women's voices across the month and then played those recordings to different people and asked them to rate the attractiveness of the voice. And they found, again, that there are vocal changes around the time of ovulation corresponding to the most fertile period in the month compared to later in the month. Yeah, well, what they found was that at that time of the month, people are much more judged to be more attractively sounding as well. So when you bring all these factors together, a person's taste in the opposite sex may change, a person's behaviour tends to change, and therefore attraction is not a fixed, rigid thing that you either have or you don't, or it, it tends to be a dynamic thing which can be influenced by a range of different things. So there is no one straight answer to that question. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith. So we take all of your questions, 011-883-0702, the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. We've got a question on the WhatsApp line, which says, my question for the Naked Scientist, why are babies inclined to fight sleep? Is there a scientific reason behind this? This is from Sam. Hi, Sam. Well, I think Sam's probably referring to young babies, the youngest infants. And 
Um, the reason that they wake up and make their parents' lives a nightmare is because they're very small and they therefore have a high metabolic rate to sustain a high surface area to volume ratio. They're burning a lot of calories in order to stay warm. They're burning a lot of calories in order to grow. Therefore, they need a lot of calories. They're also eating a liquid diet which is less energy dense than if you were to pack your stomach full of a big dose of protein. And so as a result of this, they tend to wake up more often in order to get some more calories on board and also probably get a change of nappy. So this is why children appear to fight sleep in that way, because they are being driven by the metabolic demands. But once they get a bit bigger and once they get weaned onto solid food, they do settle into a more normal sleep pattern because they're able to regulate their energy supply and demand that bit better, which goes along with a more natural physiological pattern of sleep, which is we go to sleep at night and we get up in the morning. Thank you so much for that one. Another question, this one is unsigned. What is the function of acid in batteries? Well, it depends what kind of battery you're talking about because different batteries have different chemistries. But really, this goes back to Alexandra Volta, who was the guy after whom the voltaic pile is named. And it's the field of electrochemistry which is that if you take two dissimilar substances, two metals, they have different electronegativities. In other words, they are trying different amounts, differently hard, to lose electrons. So if you put two dissimilar metals together and you've got one that's more keen to give away electrons than the other, then it will give electrons away to the other metal and dissolve in the process. In order for that to happen, you need some kind of electrolyte, a substance which enables the charged particles to flow between the two metals in your battery. Some substances, some batteries, use very different ways of doing that. But in a car battery, which is a really common way of doing it, we use a lead-acid approach. And this is where you have plates of lead, which dissolve to make lead sulfate, and you have an electrolyte, the liquid, which is sulfuric acid. And the reason we've chosen that particular chemistry is because the metals and the electrolyte combination in those batteries produces a very convenient 2 volts per cell. And this means it very easily adds up with 6 cells to a car battery of 12 volts. That's, that's why we've done that. But that's why they use acid in that case, because it is uh, convenient for the chemistry, but it's also got lots of charged particles in it which can convey current through the electrolyte to enable the current to flow um, between the two plates of the metal when you have a circuit. Thank you so much for that one. A question coming through from Gabelo. How do blind people dream? So I'm assuming a doctor is referring to those that never had sight in their lives. What do they, they say see in their dreams? But I think we are asking what do they experience when they dream? I asked a very good friend of mine when I was little. I had a blind friend who had been blind almost since birth. So effectively he had never seen. And experience of dreaming he told me was just words that's how he put it to me he said it's just words in other words you hear conversations you exp- or you feel you hear conversations you experience words you experience emotions and meanings you just don't see anything but he said in contrast his friends who have gone blind later in life who were seeing and then lost their sight for whatever reason he said they loved going to sleep because they could see again in the sense that the same brain regions that used to be activated by stimuli going into your eyes, they still know how to present those experiences to your consciousness. So when you are asleep and those brain areas activate, then they can present visual imagery to your brain. So a person who has never seen 
does not have a visual component to their dreams, but they definitely do dream, people who have seen in the past can re-experience visual experiences because they have a memory of them. Okay, and I think that is quite a helpful one. We continue with your questions. 011-883-0702, the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. The Naked Scientist. We're with Dr. Chris Smith on The Naked Scientist. It's 14 minutes to 3 o'clock. We take your calls on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702 as we take all of your science-related questions with Dr. Chris Smith. There is a question, doctor, that says, Hi, my question for the doctor is, I have a five-year-old nephew-in-law. He'd tell his mom that he keeps having conversations with God, sometimes mentioned that he saw God and they were laughing together. He does the most mind-shocking things like telling you if you are sick or unwell and things like that. Could they be a scientific for a reason for this? You've got to be really careful under circumstances like this not to attach significance to coincidence. We tend to, as a species, learn by looking at the, the relationship between cause and effect. We're looking for connections. When one thing happens, does it produce an outcome? That's how we learn and that's how we keep ourselves safe because if you drive your car too fast and you have a crash, you learn. Next time, don't drive your car too fast, you might have a crash. If you eat this thing, it might make you sick don't eat it again. And so we tend to be on the lookout for things that appear to be connected, but we also sometimes fall into the fallacy that we see the result we want to see, not the reality. We don't see the 999 times when there wasn't a correct prediction or there wasn't a correct sort of foresight going on. And we obsess and focus on the ones that do appear to validate our theory about something. So it's very unlikely that, that that's the case. But humans are perceptive and children very much so. And they'll, they'll look at an individual, they'll look at the whole affect of that person and we all give away, we all leak information about ourselves in terms of what mood we're in, happy, sad, depressed and so on. And children are very good at picking up on our moods and so they may well be responding. This, this child in question may well be responding to those sorts of non-verbal cues and using that to make an interpretation as to the well-being of a person and then telling them what they're thinking most of us would say nothing because the the sort of social etiquette is that we don't speak about these things whereas Mm. children don't have the same constraints and they tend to be very open about this kind of thing so that may be what's going on Mm. um from rockville says afternoon question for the doctor why does time go quicker when we're drunk is there anything we can do to prolong our enjoyment? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book uh, Catch-22, the, uh, the kind of narrator says there's a certain guy he likes spending lots of time with because he's really boring and that makes time really slow. Uh, so that means your leave, your annual leave seems to last longer. Um, the answer is that dr- drunk, being drunk and an alcohol does distort our perceptions in a number of ways, doesn't it? It makes us giddy, it tends to cause disinhibition, so we tend to say things we wouldn't normally say, so it loosens our tongue, for example. So there's a, a range of ways in which it affects brain function. And we also, if we drink t- too much, too too far into excess, you can completely lose consciousness or lose 
ability to form new memories. People say, I can't remember what I did. I can't remember what I said. You end up with your life existing in a series of snapshots. And this is because the alcohol is a central nervous system sedative. It's a CNS depressant. It activates the inhibitory circuits in your brain more powerfully than they should be activated. And that's going to include affecting your ability to form new memories and your ability to keep track of time. And one of the ways that the brain logs time, we think, is that it gauges how many memories you've got. It assumes you've made memories at roughly the same rate and therefore assumes if you've got a certain number of memories, this is how long time must have must have taken in passing. That's how much that time space must be. So if you affect the ability to form memories, you will affect the ability of the brain to recollect how long things took and when they occurred, which is part of the confusion that goes in the aftermath of waking up with a hangover. Oh, if only we could just extend amazing times as easily as that. Uh, one question that uh, comes through um, says, why do you, I always weigh less in the morning when I wake up, even if I didn't go to the bathroom the entire night? Well, when you are asleep, your body doesn't switch off. You revert to your basal metabolic rate, your BMR. And this is roughly one watt per kilogram. And so a 60 kilo person is getting through energy at the rate of 60 watts, 60 to 100 watts. You're you're basically burning about 60 calories an hour, 100 calories an hour, something like that. So if you go through a night when you haven't eaten anything, but you have continued to maintain a steady body temperature and you've repaired injured tissues, you've grown a bit because we all grow a bit and repair things when we go to sleep, you've burned energy. And if you use energy, because E equals mc squared, E energy equals mass times speed of light squared, if you have the consumption of energy, you will consume mass. And so your mass will drop a bit. So that you don't get a free lunch in physics. So the bottom line here is that you will weigh less in the morning because you will have breathed, breathed some of yourself out into the room because when you metabolize energy, stored energy to keep yourself going at night, you basically react a fuel, which is a sugar or a fat molecule in your body with oxygen, and you produce water and carbon dioxide. Now, the water, you might sweat some of that out. You'll definitely breathe some of it out. But the CO2, you absolutely will breathe out. So you're breathing yourself out into your bedroom. And that's why you're lighter in the morning. That is very, very fascinating. I absolutely never thought of that. One question um, says, what causes your palm of the hand to itch when you're going to receive money or a bath. <laughs> I don't know if you if you are aware, but many of us in South Africa believe when your hand is itching that you're about to receive money. Yeah, it's an old claim. And people say that uh, you, you get itchy palms, which means some, some money's coming your way. Uh, there might be a grain of truth in this. Or in eczema. The sense that it's when, like that or when you're we getting get, Well, eczema. that's true. But when we get excited about things, you activate your sympathetic nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system is that branch of your automatic nervous system that does things for you without you having to think about them. It's the part of your nervous system that makes your heart beat faster. It makes your eyes open wider. It makes your breathing increase and it switches off your gut and gives you the butterflies in your tummy when you get excited. One of the other things it does is activate your pseudomotor nerves, the the sweat-producing nerves, all over your body. But you have a lot of those in the palms of your hands, which is why if you get nervous, you can get clammy hands. And some of the time, if you're getting very excited about getting money, you might get clammy hands. And that might be the reason why people say that they get itchy palms, because you see people rubbing their hands together when they think they're going to get some money. They're spreading the sweat out.
Okay, that that makes sense. Though it's ruined a lot of excitement for many people who thought that money is coming through. A message says from TG: What is the function of nipples on a man's body? Well, the reason we we have nipples in both males and females is because they are formed on one segment of your developing body, independently of hormones. They are informed or their development is initiated by a genetic program because when a, an infant is developing a fetus is developing inside mum it starts off as a flat plate of cells that then rolls up into a tube with another tube inside it and down one end or from one end to the other that tube is divided up into a series of segments down the body from head to tail and those segments all run their own independent genetic programs that tell that patch of the body what you have to become and there is a certain patch which corresponds to your upper chest which is where the nipples are that genetic program says you must form nipples so they're there whether you're male or female because you you haven't at that stage developed your your sexual characteristics you haven't developed any hormone signaling or anything that's going to give you either testicles or ovaries at that stage they're already there and so when you're born they then either have no function as a male, except in some species. There are some mammalian species that will breastfeed. There's certain bat species, a dayak bat, for example, can contribute to breastfeeding its young. And men can breastfeed if they stimulate milk production. You can do that physically or with drugs, which will make the nipples and the breast tissue develop and, and start to secrete milk. But mostly, because there aren't the hormonal triggers in males that are present in females to A, make breasts develop as secondary sexual characteristics, estrogens chiefly, but then make milk because the glandular tissue can be switched on by other hormones like prolactin. Men don't make milk from their breasts, but women can, of course. All right, here's an interesting detailed one from at Nino Learning saying, are there any real long-term side effects to Ozempic? I was 138 kilograms overweight, unhappy and sick. I went on a Zempic and Fentermine cycling months, cycling months on one month off since April. And I've lost 35 kilograms and I feel the best I've ever felt. Is this dangerous? Well, obviously being too big is also a risk to your health because obesity is the major risk factor for developing diabetes and diabetes is a major risk factor for a whole raft of different disorders so the best thing one can do is to try to maintain a healthy weight and eat a healthy diet these new agents which are coming along are a way of fooling a certain signaling pathway in the body which affects how the body handles energy and when you take these drugs, they affect your body's ability to gauge how much energy you have and how to release and use that energy. So it contributes in a longer term to weight loss. And it can cause the loss of at least 10% of body weight. And that does have health benefits. Being lighter does improve all kinds of metabolic indices. What we don't know, though, is whether or not that's going to be effective over a lifetime. We don't know what happens when a person stops taking this in the long term. We have a suspicion that when people stop using these drugs, which are very expensive, they tend to show an increase in weight again. Their weight rebounds back up to where it was and possibly even higher. So there may be long-term effects in the sense that you're condemning yourself to greater weight gain in the future possibly, you're certainly condemning yourself to having to keep taking it to keep the weight off because people's weight does creep up when they stop. But at the end of the day, if you're, too, if you're carrying too much weight, 
that is an, a risk factor for poor health. So if you can get weight down, and it's part of a program to improve health and, and quality of life in that respect, that's a good thing. Oh, there's a question anonymous saying, why do you get so many contradictions about diets? If one dietitian says carbs are bad and another says high protein diet is bad, and there are those who say don't mix protein and car- carbs, what are we supposed to believe? And you've got about a minute, doctor. Yeah, it's very tricky, this one, because what we don't have is all the answers straight away. And so people will do studies on a certain group of people eating certain foods in a certain way with a certain set of outcomes, and they'll make a set of interpretations. Now, it might be that if you did that study again, you get different findings, because remember, we're all human, we're all different, and when you've got one group of people in a study, one set of outcomes might be different with a different group of people. So all we have to do is to accept that we don't know all the answers, we keep doing the same sorts of studies and experiments and repeating them and trying to gently build an understanding of, 